We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. So, Father, we, um, as a church, come together, we submit under your word, we ask that um, it would not return void, we cling to that promise, and uh, we are excited to see it um, work in your church this morning for your very breath to cause great change and cause great joy and delight and love for our Savior Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to pray together. Moms and dads, husbands, wives, if you haven't prayed together this week, what a joy to come to church knowing that uh, the Lord is linking your hearts together, making you one in spirit and purpose. And um, as we receive God's word this morning, I pray that... um, you would be prayerful for the people around you and uh, that the Lord would soften your own heart as well to hear what he has for you today. Well, let's begin. Just a few years ago, uh, legend has it uh, that the Queen of England has very for the people of Scotland. And so... Uh, Often, without uh, bodyguards or any sort of fancy followings, uh, she, would, she would go to Scotland and just visit the commoners and be around, be around people without identifying herself as the Queen of England. And so she'd wear common clothes. And uh, at uh, this one particular day, uh, storms came in quickly, as it does in Scotland, and uh, she found herself outside, hair disheveled, and um, without an umbrella, right? And so she knocks on this door, and uh, just a random house, and, and asks for an umbrella. And the person who opened the door um, had the option to give the Queen of England um, either her brand new umbrella that she had never used before, just really nice, spread out, covered, beautiful colors, nothing faded, or her broken, mashed-up ribs, you know, within the umbrella, fabric-torn, things like that. And obviously the lady didn't know it was the Queen of England, and she chose the kind of broken, nasty one, right? She gives it to the Queen, and the Queen says, oh, thank you so much, I'll bring it back to you tomorrow. Um, tomorrow comes, and... Um, one of the queen's bodyguards in full garb comes to the door with the broken umbrella, knocks on the door, she opens it. And the guard says, the queen of England herself would like to thank you for letting her use her, or for letting you use her umbrella. And immediately she broke into tears. And her response was this, ready? Oh, 
the opportunity I missed to give the queen my best. That was her response. Today we're going to learn from Romans 12 how to give God our best. And giving God our best, Romans says it's our living sacrifice. It's giving Him all that we have. And that is going to require sacrifice. To sacrifice all that you have for Jesus Christ and his cause. It's going to take everything you got. After 11 chapters of studying the book of Romans together, we're going to see these beautiful truths come out. After studying 11 chapters of seeing the foundations of Christianity, the creeds of the faith, Paul is going to shift to conduct now. We've seen and we've summarized often the, the, the book of Romans like this. Chapters 1 to 3 is sin. Chapters 4 and 5 talks about salvation. Chapters 6 through 8 talks about the word sanctification, the growing in Jesus Christ. We just finished 9 through 11, which talks about God's sovereignty, His plan from all of time for his church to glorify himself. And now we're moving into the last portion of Romans, chapters 12 through 16, on what it means to serve him with our lives. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And I would like to read verses 1 and 2 for us. And out of honor for God's word, would you mind standing with me one more time? This is a good and faithful tradition that Ezra started in the Old Testament and the church has often repeated. So this is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. So Lord, would you do just that? Would you allow us because of your mercies, for this church themselves as living sacrifices to God. Lord, would you teach us how to do that? Would you inform our mind? Would you spur on our bodies to follow you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength that we may be able to discern your will different from the world's? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title for this morning's sermon is Living Sacrifice, and to summarize it in a sentence for you um, would be this, the mercies of God motivate us to live sacrificially for God. I'll read it again. The mercies of God motivate us to live sacrificially for God. Usually, Preacher dudes wait till the last uh, part 
heard of this. I'm going to like totally start backwards this morning and tell you exactly where we're going so that you can have it on your mind and heart laced throughout this scripture. You can, you can be thinking about what the Lord has for you through this scripture today. Okay? So the main thrust of this passage for the church today. So you can keep your mind on it and, and be asking the Lord, Lord, what is it? What is it? What is it? It would be this. What does the Lord, or what would the Lord have you lay down today that you may offer up for Him? This is a message of sacrifice. This is a message of surrender. Um, what would God have you lay down your life? In what aspect? In what area? Obviously your whole area, but He's going to work in from one degree of glory to another on one thing in your life today, in the next moments, in the next minutes. What would He have you lay down in sacrifice so that you may be a full, equipped, glorifying offering up to God, pleasing, holy, and reasonable and acceptable to Him in every way? What would he have you lay down so that you could offer up? Basically, what umbrella are you going to give them? Right? That's the idea of today's message. Let's start with verse 1, shall we? It begins with the words, I appeal to you. So these, these first words set the tone for the whole text. So Paul says, I appeal to you, or some translations say that he's urging or he's calling you to something. So Paul was urging the church of Rome. These are words of exhortation or encouragement, not, not forceful or like um, a, a must or a requirement. Doesn't produce a response of shame or guilt, but Paul calls the reader and the listener to respond not from the hand, but from the heart. He appeals to them so that the decision would be theirs. A decision that has to come completely and voluntarily from the inside. This morning was a little bit cooler, wasn't it? You woke up, the humidity was gone, right? Some of you are starting to think about bonfires these days. The, the, the same would be true. If you want to heat a home, don't expect a bonfire in the backyard to heat your home inside. The fire has to come from within. And so Paul's saying, hey, I urge you, I appeal to you from within. The home's got to be heated from the inside. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So just as we said, the first 11 chapters, they unfolded the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about how the, the message of Romans is the righteousness of God through Jesus. We used that illustration, remember, of that little kid banging on the toy tykes. He's trying to get that square peg in a round hole. It's, it's, it's the wild card of the gospel. We are the square peg. The gospel is the round hole. You can't do it. You need Christ in you for it to fit. It's the wild card. That's the message of Romans. The righteousness of God must take place through Jesus in you in order for you to be accepted 
righteously unto a righteous Savior. That's how it works. We've seen that for 11 chapters. And now these like beautiful and shining truths, like they, it keeps on surfacing the same theme of how does that happen again? Mercy. How can we stand before a righteous God, a righteous judge? It's got to happen through mercy. It's a key word. Like, don't go there, but, but right in the margin, uh, chapter 9, verse 23, uh, 16, forgive me, let me read it for you. It says, so then, it depends not on human will or exertion, remember that word, but on God who has mercy. That's the gospel. Here's 9.23. In order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. So, of the whole Scriptures, but especially highlighted in Romans. It's these, these mercies. That would be because of God's great love for us. He sacrificed. The Father sacrificed by sending His Son to the It's because of Christ's great sacrifice that He left His royal robes in heaven and took on human flesh became a man it's because of the cross of jesus and the pardon for sin that's it's the mercy of god or if you like uh, poems put to music like the great hymn the church's one foundation it says from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride isn't that a great line that's the mercy of god taking place so because of mercies paul is saying what? Well, then what? Because of the mercies of God, what should be the Christian's logical response? The most reasonable act of worship. What should it be? Well, it says right here, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't that great? All right, so pretend like you've never heard this verse before. I know it's very familiar. Would that exhortation surprise you at all? For Paul to tell the church, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, I don't think the original audience, the church in Rome, would be that surprised by the whole sacrifice part. Like, they're very familiar. The early church was, was well-versed in what the Old Testament had to go through, the people of God there, in order to receive forgiveness of sins and to be restored back to God. Like, if you were a family in the Old Testament, you'd probably own a few goats, a few chickens, you know, maybe a, maybe a cow, right? And then once a year, you'd look at your bride and go, hey, kids, come on in here. All right, wife, come on in here. One of them's got to go. We got to bring one of these animals. That one, Dad, no. I'm sorry, but it's the only one without spot or blemish. Let's take it. It's, it's worth it, sons. It's worth it, daughter. It's worth having a clear conscience before our Father. It's worth being restored back to Him. And so they would put a little rope on the goat and they would say, 
We're going to miss that goat cheese. I hope you hear that common theme. Right now, it's our jam. The Newman family is loving goat cheese these days. Like, you come on over, and it's like charcuterie boards with goat cheese, right? We're going to miss that goat cheese. Oh, it's going to be sad. We're going to miss that milk. We're going to miss that, you know, whatever. We're going to miss that meat. And they would take him to the temple, and they would offer that animal to a priest, and the priest would kill it. And he would put the dead carcass on an altar in the temple. And your animal, your animal's blood would flow down the altar. And that altar would be hot. It would be burning. And because it would burn up that dead carcass, smoke would rise up. And guess what? God would really like it. He loved it. He didn't love like the, that the animal had to die. He didn't love the sin, of course. He didn't, love, he didn't love the process. He loved being restored back to His people. He loved that His people sacrificed so that they could be one in fellowship with Him again. He loved that part. He loved the fellowship that it brought again with His people. The New Testament talks about how God's people, when they offer up their lives, are, are like smoke in God's nostrils. That their very smell is a pleasure to Him. But we won't go there yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I don't think that was the surprising part. Not the sacrifice. Here's what I think the surprising part was in the original audience. Hey, Paul. Hey, we know the whole sacrifice thing. But I think... If we're reading you carefully, what you're saying is that we, as living people, you're asking us to, with our hearts still beating and everything still working, crawl up on the altar and be ourselves the sacrifice. And Paul would be going, yep, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. Because of the mercies of God, that is the most reasonable response. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about sacrifice. Because this word, this, this calling on our lives, this idea or this lifestyle is not necessarily the most popular one in American evangelicalism today. You hear the word sacrifice and you kind of go... Ooh, that doesn't sit right. I live today in a culture of want. Like, we want what we want, and we want it now, right? Like, in my hometown, we had this restaurant. It was called Hot Now, right? It was the equivalent to White Castle, okay? And after basketball practice, we would go to Hot Now, you know, a bunch of me and my buddies, and we, I remember, like, having a band full of guys and me going, we'll take 50 hamburgers, please, right? And each of us having five burgers. It was incredible. And they came within, like, five minutes. That's quality, right? No. <laughs> and so we would just chow down on these burgers. We would just be so hungry, and we wanted something hot, and we wanted something, like, right now after basketball practice. And I thought it was a pretty good name for a restaurant. I don't even know if it's still going, right? But 
Um, that is the description of our desires. That's what we're like. We want things right now, right then. And what this, is, this concept of sacrifice is saying is that you must put to death some of your desires in order to pursue something else. That, it, that is what would be called sacrifice. Something that you want, saying, I want that, but I'm going to die to that want, and I'm going to pursue something better. Let me give you a definition of, of sacrifice. This is by a guy named Augustine. He lived in Africa. He's known as St. Augustine of Hippo. He defines sacrifice as this, the surrender of something of value for the sake of something else. Isn't that interesting? So he uses the term surrender as synonymous with sacrifice. So the surrender of something of value for the sake of something else. So you've got to ask the question as a result of hearing that, that definition, what are we willing to sacrifice? For whom or for what? What are we willing to give up? And if that is true, what Augustine said, the surrender of something of value for the sake of something else, then what are you surrendering for the sake of Christ and His kingdom? What sort of sacrifices are you making? And even in preparation for this sermon, going, oh Lord, that word is just, is it going to fall on ears that receive it well. How are they going to receive that word? Is, is, it going to be, is, is it going to be harsh to their souls? Will they leave and say, wow, that Newman, that Pastor Newman guy, man, he's really hardcore. Are they going to go, man, Christianity is some Navy SEAL thing. How are they going to receive sacrifice? And I think at this point, there is amongst the church this, this feeling of, I, I don't know if I'm that comfortable in church right now. Like, what is, what's the pastor going to ask me to do? Is he going to ask me to cut sugar for 30 days? Am I going to have to do that? Right? Is he going to say something like, so now church, uh, we can no longer shop at Target. You can only buy your shirts at Walmart, Okay. No, do I have to do that? No, like school's coming up, school shopping, I know. I'm, but, you know, is that like the kind of sacrifice that I'm going to have to make? And you're like, <laughs> this is getting uncomfortable, right? That's usually the response, though, when the word sacrifice is used. It's followed by, am I going to have to, right? Well, am I going to have to... Am I going to have to... And it's this Eeyore Christianity of, well, I guess I'm going to have to... But what is the adjective prior to sacrifice in your text? What does it say? What does it say? It's living. Now, for your sake and for your joy, I have read thousands of pages on this okay commentary after commentary theologian after theologian they read living 
And all they can say about it is that it's the opposite of dead. It's unbelievable. It's just used in a negative context. It's like, what? they just talk about it in reference to Old Testament. They say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, like, it's, it, it was a dead sacrifice, but now we're living. Period. That's all you get, right? There is a famous quote on this verse. It goes something like this. The only problem, parentheses, look at the negativity, but this is a true quote and a good one. The only problem with a living sacrifice is that we keep on crawling off the altar, right? Have you heard that one before? It's a really good one. It's true about humanity. Like we keep on crawling off because of our sin and we've got to crawl back on up to be a living. But actually this verse isn't talking about how to kill your sin. That's in Romans 8. Remember that? This verse is talking about how to be a living sacrifice. So I'm going to say something strong here. Ready? To be a living sacrifice? To sacrifice is life. Like, it brings life. It doesn't produce your Christians. When you get to sacrifice for God... It brings life and vitality and beauty. It is green pastures for the Christian. That is the life. Sacrificing for God. In his book, Waiting, Finding Hope When God Seems Silent, uh, Ben Patterson writes, My wife Loretta once remarked to me, I know I'd die for Christ. If I were put in front of a firing squad and commanded to renounce Christ or die, I'd... But the hard part is living for Christ, not dying for Christ. She's right. That would be easy. He's talking about his wife, Loretta. Watch this. One huge heroic act would be easier than a lifetime of little daily decisions. Especially when it may take a lifetime to discover that the promises of God are worth the no we said to ourselves and to the world each day. Did you catch that? A lifetime of little daily decisions. That's a great description of what it means to live for Jesus Christ and to be a living sacrifice. Not just a heroic one-time decision. And that's why Paul uses those, those descriptions. That kind of life is a holy life. That would be a life set apart for the gospel of God. It's acceptable. That kind of life, those little daily decisions, please God so much. And that's what the latter half of that verse is talking about. That kind of life doesn't just describe a few hours on Sunday morning, but it spans, it scopes the whole Christian life. So, just to return back to that initial question, Hey, which umbrella? Or, uh, hey, 
what is God calling you to lay down so that you may offer up, be a sacrifice, a living and holy and pleasing? Do you got it yet? just want to remind you, that's, that's the question. What is the Lord calling you today to give up in order to follow Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Now watch how Paul coaches us how to do that. Watch how he's, he, he takes you know, his hand and he puts it on the smaller of our, our back and leads us with regards to how to be a living sacrifice. So let's look at it. Notice it does say bodies, doesn't it? To offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. So here's how I describe that, okay? I know it's dangerous, but let's enter into the average human brain, okay? The average human mind, um, and um, I am saying this from experience, okay? So here we go. Let's say you set your alarm the night before, and you say in your mind, I'm going to work out tomorrow morning, okay? So you set your alarm a little early, and you put your head on your pillow, and you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, okay? And then you go to sleep. You hear the alarm, and you go, wow, right? And you're like mad at that alarm. It wakes you up. Snooze. Nine minutes later, I'm, I'm saying from a friend. I don't know. I don't know, you know. Nine minutes later, though, it goes off again, and, and your mind starts working, and it starts working like this. I wonder if I could just work out in my heart. <laughs> I don't, I wonder what would be the physical benefits if I went through those exercises in my mind, right? Whack! Now I got 18 minutes, right? And you keep hitting it. And so here's the question. To what physical benefit is it for you to be in the gym in your mind? <laughs> right? Not so much. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of physical progress working out in your mind. So to stick with that illustration, oftentimes, if you are obedient with your body, your heart and your feelings and your mind will follow. When I get to the gym early, I don't always feel like working out, but I start going through the motions, I start doing it, and then my mind and my body and my heart like catches up. Same thing with church. How many of you guys felt a hundred percent ready? Right? I'm sure leaving the house probably went like, change your diaper. It's leaking all over the place. Hey, you forgot breakfast. Hey, tuck in your shirt. Are you really gonna wear that? You know. If we're, and then you get here, and your body is here. Praise the Lord. And then we start singing, and you're like, I am not there yet. And then, after a little bit, you're like, you know what? The, the Lord's ministering to me right now. And your, your, your head and your heart start catching up. And it's like, oh, I'm so glad I was here this morning. I needed this. Same thing in a marriage. You don't always feel like you, can, you want to draw near to your spouse, right? You don't always feel like 100% there. 
But to be obedient to the Lord, sometimes He says, draw near. And your heart and head follow. Your feelings follow. If you waited just for your feelings, it would never happen. Well, maybe sometimes, but I'm, you know, hyperbole, right? This is the process that brings life. To offer your bodies up. And it is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. But in that sacrifice, to be willing to be used by the Lord, wherever, whenever, however, it brings such energy and life and vitality. To ask the question like this, Lord, how would you use me today? Lord, I need to vacuum the downstairs. Lord, I need to send a few emails. But I am willing to be used wherever. Even in the emails and in the vacuuming. Lord, I want You. And so, my life, Yours. Maybe you've got a whole bunch of like contracts you're working with during the week. And you know that like even this week, starting Monday... You're going to start them. They are not going to be finished by the end of the week. And it's hard to be like, Lord, it just doesn't feel like kingdom work. I just, I just, I don't know how it all fits together. But in your dealings, in your workings, in your ins and outs, if you offer your life, your heart, your everything, your time, everything to God, it is a total different lifestyle you live but that willingness is sacrifice and that sacrifice brings great life during the reign of king frederick william the third of prussia when was the last time you thought about him huh uh, he found himself in trouble so the country was was struggling with financial things, economic woes, and uh, he was short of finances. He didn't want to disappoint the people. And so he called for an, a nationwide sacrifice from the women, especially. He said, women, we are, are struggling financially. Would you consider bringing your gold? Would you bring all your necklaces, your earrings, your rings and we're going to melt them down and we're going to try to save our country through your sacrifice and if you bring your jewelry I'll give you a gift and each woman um, had the choice it was voluntary but they brought all their jewelry their, their decorations, their bronze, whatever and they boiled them on down but the gift said um I gave gold for iron, comma, 1813. Um, the first woman that offered her jewelry, and she got that, um, it started this, this spark among the women of Prussia. And um, after a time, jewelry was out of fashion in Prussia. Because everyone saw the value of sacrificing their jewelry for the betterment of the country. 
And that's how the order of the Iron Cross was established. So members wore no ornaments except the cross of iron for all to see. And in it inscribed, I gave gold for iron, 1813. So when Christians come to the king and they exchange all that they have to sacrifice for King Jesus, that's the kind of stuff that happens in people's lives and in communities in the world. And it starts spreading like wildfire. When you get a group of people sacrificing for Jesus. Well, does it end there? Well, I just, I, I heard the pastor. He said that I got to offer up my body as a sacrifice. So? So I'll just do that then? Like, but what about... that is raging in my mind like who's watching the olympics these days right like we got some of the most elite athletes in the world and their greatest struggle is not the balance beam it's not within the the the, the boxing ring the greatest battle is not the breaststroke it's between their ears isn't it so is there any hope for for the christian in the mind is there any strategy for the Christian when it comes to his thought life? Let's go there. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So when I think of conformed, I think of form. And when I think of form, I think of our previous house uh, when we lived in Texas. When we moved in, uh, we knew that we had to change one thing in our house um, for sure. Like that, that raised to the top. Because when we walked in, we saw Formica countertops that were mauve. All right? Now, guys, I'll just spell it out for you. The color mauve is like pink. Okay? So you need to like, grow in your versedness on colors. Like just... Hang out at Sherwin-Williams for a while, okay? But mauve is not a color that's necessarily like so awesome to dominate a kitchen, okay? Um, so we're like, mauve countertops got to go. So we started researching like, well, you know, should we go like the grand? And oh my goodness, that's expensive. And our, what are our other options? And we, uh, I had a buddy, he was a deacon at the church. And he's like, bro, aren't you just do counter, uh, concrete countertops? And so we're like, sweet, that's like modern looking and cool. And so um, for 500 bucks, we replaced all our countertops. And it was so ridiculously labor intensive, but that's for a different sermon, okay? But I, uh, I made our countertops. And it was like a great man win for our house. Uh, before uh, you make concrete countertops, you got to make the forms, which basically means you got to make little boxes um, the size of the countertop, and then you pour the concrete in, okay? And just like painting, just like any project, it's like 90% preparation. And so, like, I was meticulous with these nine countertops in our laundry room and in our kitchen. And it required perfection from caulking to, like, 
before pouring the, uh, the concrete in, like blowing, making sure every pebble, every piece of dust, hair was out of the forms. Why? Because once you pour the concrete in, that's how it forms. And so then you flip it over and you put it on and you're like, if, if you got like a rock in there or, or, or anything, you're like, oh my word, I totally missed that. How could I conk like that, right? And so it took an incredible amount of time. Concrete forms to, conforms to whatever it's placed upon. And friends, it's the same thing with you and the world. It's saying, hey, you're the, 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 the mold, the concrete's coming. You better get ready. Conform. Let's, let's look at it technically, okay? The word conform means fashioned to another's pattern. That would be like, pattern would be like one's mind or one's character. So being conformed to something, to be fashioned to their character, their mind, their pattern of life. And when it says the world, it doesn't mean like the physical earth. It means like this present age. And it's not just talking about the year of our Lord, 2021 or something. It's talking about the, the, what the world believes. Like their, their philosophy, their loves, their affection. Like everything that the world teaches will conform to you. The world, not a neutral agent, like just out there and hanging out. It's not something that like, the world doesn't just wish now that, that you as the Christian would tolerate them. That was 10 or 15 years ago. Now the world wants to conform your way of thinking to champion everything that they like and everything that they teach. And if you don't agree with it, you hate it. And so, if the Christian is not careful, their way of thinking will conform to everything of the world and you'll start looking like and talking like and thinking like what the world loves and teaches. Parenting note. If you hear that, oh my, the world is evil, and it is, you start going, whew, I better get my kid out of Because it's evil, and it is. And so you start going like this. I, I better pull him or her, my daughter or son, out of everything that, where they would be influenced by the world. We would call that sheltering a child. And that is not your call as a Christian parent. Your call is not to shelter, but to shepherd. You are to engage your children in, in what the world is teaching. When they are ready, there's wisdom and timing. But to teach them what the Bible says, what God thinks, to have the difficult discussions, and to bring them up, and to equip them and teach them how to identify and discern what is right and what is wrong. 
And the age that you have to do that nowadays is a whole lot younger than it was. And dads, and part of going to church together and being the church, we've got to help each other. We've got to talk about how to raise our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord and how to help them understand what is worldly and what is not. If you didn't catch it yet from the text, what the text is saying is you have to be careful, deliberate, intentional, or the world and its philosophies and teachings and beliefs will conform to your life. So what do we do about it? Let's read the Bible. It says, the rest of the verse, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that, my friends, is why the mind is so important. We're not just shells walking around, walking around presenting our bodies, but we must be transformed in our inner man, our minds, for the Christian life. Uh, one theologian says, theology is the mind in love with the glory of God. Uh, J.I. Packer writes that many Christians are eggheads with little hearts and little hands. Can you imagine that? Yeah, if you're taking notes, kids, if you want to like draw pictures during this time, draw a big old egg, right? And that's your head with a little neck, little leg, little heart, little arms, right? A lot of Christians are eggheads, all minds, no hands, no heart. Ever met one like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they need to grow in some areas, right? A lot of Christians, they got Hulk hands, right? Big old hands they got on, they're like weighing down, and they got little minds, big hearts, a little bit imbalanced, right? And some Christians are like a walking valentine. They're like, all heart, no mind, no hands, <laughs> right? <laughs> Draw those three images. Theology speaks against all three of those. It says to pursue God with all of them, your body, your mind, with your heart. Look at that word transformed. Let's, let's uh, be informed by that word. There's only two other places in Scripture where it's used. One is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and the other is where the gospel writers talk about Jesus being transfigured. So Jesus, this is important to glean, when he went up on the mountain and he was transfigured, there was two guys with him, and they described it like this, that his clothes turned white, as white as any launderer could have ever washed him. Isn't that interesting? But it was way more than just an external shining because the gospel writers talked about him opening up in the very glory of God shining from within him. It wasn't just an external brightness. It was him himself being changed or, or opening up to show what he actually is on the inside. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, this isn't just an external thing. Not just say, hey, get it right. Hey, do this, do this. He's saying, you've got to be changed 
from the inside. How do I do that? John Calvin in his Institutes says, it is impossible for any man to obtain even the minutest portion of right or sound doctrine without being a disciple of Scripture. How do you transform your mind? You must be eating, swallowing, chugging the Bible. Let me just tell you a personal example so that you know that the Word of God changes lives, even this brother, okay? So this week I had a bad attitude about something. Anyone there? Just me? I had a bad attitude. Man, I was like wallowing and just loving it. I was loving having a bad attitude, right? And I was studying this verse to preach on, to be a living sacrifice. So I got 30 minutes with Ruthie. And we... Um, and then we sat on our front yard swing and we shared prayer requests. And um, I shared, well, Ruthie, would you pray that I would be a living sacrifice? What I was doing with my bad attitude was holding on to everything that I wanted to do, everything I wanted to be, like all my wants, desires, like me, 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 right? And when I like acknowledged that it was wrong and I needed help, the scripture was working in me. It was like the sword of the spirit that's shining so bright, like stabbed my heart and made my dark heart bright again. And Ruthie prayed that I would be a living sacrifice. And my whole outlook, my whole perspective was totally different. Now, just so you don't hear that this is a therapeutic gospel, here's what I mean. It was my, my life was changed from living for myself to living on mission for God. My, my eyes were opened. It, they were just like closed and on me. And then when I prayed and said, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice, I gave up. I sacrificed what I wanted and said, I need your Holy Spirit to fill me, to change me. And then he did. And the rest of my day and the rest of my week, I was like, I was on mission for God. I had eyes to see the lost. I was about other people's stuff instead of mine. I was asking them questions. I was bold in my faith. I wasn't before. And then a change happened. And it happened because of this verse. And I'm praying that it happens in your life this week too. And I'm praying it happens in mine again because I'll probably be there again. Isn't that crazy? I need to say that more and more and more. That I am not whole and Christ is. And He'll continue to change your life. It's His promise. And that's the summary of even the end of the verse. That, that discussion about the God's will. That if you offer up your life, that your will, which was pursuing the world, which is a direct, in direct opposition of God's will, when you lay that down, 
then you know what God's will is. You'll be able to discern it. You'll be able to tell when you're living for the Lord or for yourself. Whether you're building your kingdom or Christ. And that's the result. So will your sacrifice this week be in a begrudging manner? What will your sacrifice be to God? I pray that it will not be anything short of the abundant life in Christ Jesus. So church, what umbrella are you going to give God this week? What are you going to lay down in order to offer up? We're going to pause and treat that question with some legitimacy and seriousness. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But don't allow your hearts just to click into uh, it's time to go mode. Allow your hearts to sit on that question and say, Lord, what is it? I'm here my body is at church. I want to be used by God. Would you now inform and transform my mind and heart to be a sacrifice to you? I'm just going to ask Joe to just play a little music. Let's spend some time in prayer. And then I'll close us.
are zealous for you. Would you be so kind to do that? 